The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome to the Barca Bloodgrounds podcast. My name is Josh. I am joined by my usual friend and colleague, Renato. How are you doing? Hello. Hanging in. Good. And so this week, we uh, we have a special episode. You know why it's special? Because, uh, like you said earlier, the board did nothing stupid. We can talk about football today, uninterrupted by drama, and uh, that means it's a good day. Finally, we can talk just about what happened on the pitch. <laughs> All right. So... Napoli won, Barcelona won, first leg of the Champions League matchup between the two sides. Uh, was a bit of an interesting uh, kind of test of Barcelona's ability to rotate and prepare for a pretty interesting stretch of games over the next week and a half. Uh, the kind of the, the notes that I saw were basically, uh, if it hadn't been for Ter Stegen, this could have been a lot worse. And then I think we saw again, like we talked about last week, the consistency and constant threat that um, Antoine Griezmann puts on opposing defenses is he gives Barcelona another option besides Lionel Messi to pull a goal out of their butts when it feels like uh, in previous Barcelona attempts at like a Napoli like defense they might have gone goalless in a game like this if Messi couldn't do anything special but now they have someone like Griezmann who can pull something out of a hat uh, without a Luis Suarez out there to uh, to recover a goal for Barcelona which was huge yes um, and it, the to me the best news of the whole game was that uh, Messi had absolutely nothing to do with the goal um, which just usually doesn't happen away from home. Every every goal we score is because of Messi. And um, that goal, he barely touched the ball, or I think he didn't, to be honest. Um, it was just a long sequence of possession, and then Busquets with the masterful ball to Semedo. And then Semedo gave Griezmann a tap-in, but it was a tough tap-in. It was, with his right foot, so it was a good finish as well. To me, that was the best part of uh, about it. Uh, like you said, uh, Griezmann maybe gives us another another option um, that, frankly, Luis Suarez didn't give us uh, in previous seasons. Uh, he was great this season, but Luis Suarez has never um, really been uh, a force in, for us in the Champions League. So it um, it, it was nice to to have Griezmann. Uh, kind of, kind of show show what he's about. I thought he had a very good performance. Um, he wasn't man of the match by any means because the attack wasn't really that good. But I thought out of the the, the three attacking players, who was the best? And uh, big goal for him because his importance on the team grows week by week, game by game. And it was nice to see the the team. Uh, able to do something important in a match away from home of this importance without Messi. 
that's probably the best news. Agreed. Um, how do you feel about Barcelona's rotation, kind of the lineup they went with? Because uh, obviously uh, we're going to see a strong team against Real Madrid this weekend. Um, there's not going to be any sort of, you know, we're going to talk more specifics about that match later on. Uh, but there's not going to be some sort of, we see like a, a second team lineup against Real Madrid over the weekend. But the good news is, is that after the Real Madrid match, there's a week um, stretch before the Real Sociedad match. And do you feel like Barcelona is doing a good enough job of rotating and substituting, substituting heading into El Clasico after kind of a brutal, uh, brutal away match? Um, I don't think there, there's not an, uh, a lot of options yeah. to rotate anyway. So, I mean, Kike is going with what he has, but I don't think fitness is really an issue or a concern at all. The game, this game was on Tuesday. Uh, El Clasico is on Sunday night in Catalonia, in Madrid and Catalonia, so doesn't really matter. Uh, it's five five full days, so um, if this game, if Barca had played on Wednesday, um, then there's a little bit of a concern. But Barca were able to make the trip back from Italy on Tuesday night. Um, uh, from what we know, there are no issues with coronavirus uh, for any Barca players, which actually means it's actually important news because there are coronavirus problems in Italy. And, you know, there are no Barca players uh, sick uh, at, uh, from the trip or anything. So I, I think fitness is not going to be an issue and they can rotate anyway. So the team we saw uh, against Napoli is probably the team we're going to see. Uh, again against Real Madrid, which I can't really say is our best team, is the only team we have. Uh, but the good news is is that the greatest player of all time is going to be there, and it, obviously it's not Messi, it's Martin Braithwaite. So um, <laughs> we're really excited about the return of the GOAT. Yeah. Uh, the... But, but uh, <laughs> to be honest, we really missed the Martin Braithwaite who made his debut we actually missed a guy like that against Napoli because our biggest problem against Napoli was the lack of movement. And all that Martin Braithwaite did on his uh, uh, debut was move. <laughs> really smart movement, really good runs. He was always a threat, always an option to run in behind. And we actually missed a guy like that against Napoli. And we saw... Um, Real Madrid's match against Manchester City, we saw what Gabriel Jesus did with his movement. Um, and Martin Braithwaite, if he plays in a similar position with kind of a similar um, uh, task of of running in behind Daniel Carvajal on the, on the right side of the Madrid defense, he could cause some problems because he's actually a really good player. Uh, we all um, we all obviously made a joke out of his signing. Uh, Although I did say on this podcast last week that I thought he was a good player, um, and he's actually better than any one of, of us thought, and uh, it's really good to have him back, which I never thought I'd say in February of 2020. And Martin Braithwaite is going to be really important for Barcelona to win El Clasico. Oh my gosh! So after the after the final whistle sounded, did you find yourself feeling like like? disappointed did you find yourself feeling kind of relieved that at least they came away with a draw how did you feel after the after the whistle blew just as like a as a 
as an observer of Barcelona, not so much as like a man, what are we going to talk about kind of thoughts, but like, were you satisfied? I wasn't completely satisfied, but you know, uh, um, we as Barca fans, we tend to be entitled sometimes. Um, and I hadn't noticed. Yeah, uh, we are. Uh, and sometimes we think we have to win every game 5 0. Uh, and sometimes we forget what we became over the last two and a half years. Um, so that's what we are. Um, and the truth is, we, we are awful away from home in every competition, including the Champions League, especially in the Champions League. When you remember Rome and Anfield, especially. So uh, it was refreshing to see a good performance on the road uh, because I thought it was good. Uh, even though the first half was really bad, the second half was better. Um, and overall, I thought it was good. Uh, it was good enough, certainly better than anything we saw under uh, Ernesto Valverde. Uh, but I did think um, there is a chance for us to win. I thought after we scored the equalizer, I thought, you know, the game is there for the taking. And that, and then instead of kind of ramping up the pressure, um, I thought Kike Setien didn't really do anything to affect the match. I thought the, the easy substitution to make is to take off Sergio Busquets because he had a yellow card and then you bring on Ansu Fati and then you kind of bring an extra attacker um, and you move Arturo Vidal to midfield, you move Frank De Jong back to his favorite position and you become a more dangerous, more attacking team. Um, now that Napoli, now that you show that you can find a goal against Napoli, you bring on an extra attacking player. I, I thought you know, it was missing kind of that intent to get the second goal. Um, and we, we immediately after we scored, we allowed Napoli to have five minutes of really intense pressure. Um, so that was that was the disappointing part that after we scored, there was a window there of 10 minutes where we could really have gone from their throats. And I just thought we didn't. Yeah. So what impressed you the most about Napoli heading into a, you know, a second leg here in a couple of weeks? What impressed you about them and what makes or like what makes you think that they're vulnerable? They actually disappointed me, to be honest, uh, because I thought that I think they're a much better team than what we saw. I think Napoli are way better than the park, the bus. Let's not concede, um, and maybe we'll get a goal if Barca make a mistake. They play like a small team, and that's not a way, what I expected from Napoli because they didn't play against a, like a small team against Juventus when they beat Juventus at home, and they didn't play like a small team when they beat Inter Milan in the Italian Cup uh, away from home. So with that, that was only the last couple of weeks under Gattuso, the new manager, we're not talking about them beating Liverpool under Ancelotti um, because the Ancelotti team was actually bad uh, by the end. I'm talking about the Gattuso team when he took over, had a bad couple of weeks, but then he found his team and they beat Juventus at home. Uh, we all know Juventus in Italy are kind of good and they beat Inter Milan in the cup and Inter Milan this season are fighting for the title and they played like a big team and they attacked and they weren't afraid. And then against Barca, they just parked the bus and they say, ah, yeah, 
We're going to defend for our lives. We're going to put literally every player we have behind the ball. And if you make one mistake, we'll try to score. And Barca Bar made three mistakes. Um, they scored on the first, and then Ter Stegen made two unbelievable saves um, in the other two. But that was all Napoli did all game. Uh, was fouled the hell of Barca players and defend really hard and try to score on a mistake. And I don't think that's necessarily what I what Napoli should be doing. Uh, and if they have that approach at Camp No, when it's a, when Barca are literally unstoppable in the Champions League, I don't think they have much of a chance to be honest. Um, because uh, what I saw in the second half, uh, I think we're going to do better at home especially, and if we get an early goal or something, Napoli is going to have to come out and try to get a goal of their own. And then all of that defensive prowess is really going to be worth nothing if you have to attack and you don't know how to attack because it, it became clear to me that they have no idea how to attack. Um, and that's disappointing because that's not the Napoli team I saw over the last couple months. Yeah, I, I mean, you definitely talked them up heading into this. Like you emphasized their recent form, how um, how they looked like a completely different team than they did under Carlo Ancelotti, and like you said, they did play like a team that didn't really think they deserved to be there. Uh, and there were some quotes from the manager talking about like wielding like suits of armor heading into the camp. No, like, and it seems like uh, the strategy is just going to be to park the bus and do kind of what they did at home, which is. Uh, I, I guess the best strategy for them, if like if, if that's what they think works for them, but it also feels like they're more talented and capable of playing a match that are, especially this Barcelona team, a team that might be he- heading into that match um, tired or lack, you know, due to lack of rotation and all that stuff. Like this feels like of all the years you can go into the Camp Nou and actually play a comfortable your style of football. This is the year to do it, not to sit there and play the passive style that um, most teams would deploy going into that kind of match. Exactly, and. You know, the easy thing to do about Barca, uh, with Barca these days is to press them. Uh, press them high when it's a goal kick. Barca are going to come out passing. The easy thing to do is just press. <laughs> Napoli did it. Napoli just gave the ball to Barca and sat in front of their goal. That was their strategy, and it worked, obviously. They only allowed one goal. Um, but I thought that, was, that had a lot more to do with Barca being unable to be creative and Kiki Setien kind of returning to the, the tactical setup that didn't really work when he came on at Barca. Uh, I thought Arturo Vidal on the right just didn't work. Uh, he should play on the left like he did against Apar. I thought, you know, Nelson Semedo, maybe Kike was just too worried about Lorenzo Insigne, um, the Napoli winker, which is... Uh, their best player, uh, and maybe he was a little worried and he told Tomato to not go forward, but it became evident after like 10 minutes that Insigne wasn't going to go forward. He was going to defend like the rest of the team. And it took Kike until halftime to tell Tomato to go forward. And then obviously when you have the both, the two fullbacks, uh, both fullbacks going forward, you become a more dangerous team in the style that we play. And then it became evident even with Semedo um, uh, going forward, that Insigne was still not going to be a threat. Um, so I think it be, it be, it's clear what we have to do in the second leg. Both fullbacks have to go forward. There has to be an extra attacker. I don't think Vidal uh, 
uh, in the front three, it's going to work. It's going to have to be Messi, Griezmann, and Asafati because the gold is not available, Braithwaite. And um, and I think you're going to have to have uh, Vidal in midfield. Uh, sorry, Vidal's not going to play, so it doesn't matter Vidal. The Busquets are not going to play. They're suspended. Uh, sorry for that. Uh, but um, you're going to have to have three attackers. That that That's the point. You're going to have to have a front three, Messi, Griezmann, and Sofati. going to have to more, have more presence in the box. You're going to have to have the two fullbacks running forward, making runs in behind. You're going to have to give Napoli more more bodies for them to worry about. And there's just wasn't enough bodies uh, on Tuesday. But I also think, you know, Kike clearly sees this as a 180-minute match, not just a 90-minute one. Um, so he was okay with perhaps not the best and most beautiful performance if it meant us not losing and getting another way goal. And it worked. Yeah, so do you have any other thoughts on this Napoli match before we head to the El Clasico preview? Oh, no, I'm really excited about to talk about El Clasico. I'm oh. glad we're done with the Napoli thing. All right, Napoli, gone. We'll see you in a couple weeks. El Clasico's this weekend. So this uh, just kind of a quick you know preview heading into this. So PK expects to be fit for this match. That was reported this morning. Uh, Barcelona sit two points ahead in the table. Uh, the last match was, of course, not that long ago in December, a, uh, a riveting... Uh, nil-nil draw and I think both teams come into this match like a little bit uh, not the usual swashbuckling kind of style that we expect from both of these teams Uh, Real Madrid of course coming off a loss to Manchester City in the Champions League yesterday uh, sitting two points behind on the table so their form has kind of hit a little bit of a rut and they look just as vulnerable as Barcelona look what are just some kind of general thoughts you have about this match heading into it I think we're favorites um isn't that weird? If you had if you had said that two weeks ago, I think that I think that would have been a little weird to say. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but now Madrid have only one win the last five games, um, and they've lost three of their last four, um, and uh, not three of the last four, three of the last five. Um, but uh, it's three games without a win, and as crazy as it, as it sounds, it doesn't sound crazy. The reason why we're favorites is because the game is at the Bernabeu. And we've won the last five games at the Bernabeu, and we've dominated at least four of them. So when we play Madrid, we are the better team every time, and we win the last five. Um, I affectionately call that stadium now the Santiago Barca Bill. And I, I think it's with good reason. We just feel at home there. It's a, it's a, it's our home away from home, and um, Real Madrid, uh, you know, they play. I think two of the last three games at home, they've lost. They lost to Real Sociedad in the Copa del Rey, and then they lost to Manchester City. And actually, the last La Liga game they played at home was a two-two draw with Celta Vigo. So they haven't won at home in the last three games. They've lost two of those three, and we've won the last five uh, at the Bernabeu, at the Barca Bill, sorry. So it, it re- I really feel positive going to this match because I don't think Real Madrid uh, are in good form. You know, they went 20 games without a loss between December and January. They're not that team anymore. They have a lot of the same problems that they had last season, which is a complete lack of, of attacking power 
everything they do, every goal they score, and that was basically on a counterattack and a mistake or a set piece. They have zero creativity in midfield. Um, you know, Fede Valverde, uh, the good Valverde uh, of the Spanish League, not our crappy coach, the Real Madrid midfielder, was the best Valverde in, in Spain. Yeah. He was uh, he was probably their best player in December and January. I think he's tired. He's played so much football that I think he's tired, and he doesn't have the legs to press the way he does and, and to bring the ball from back to front the way he does. Um you know, Casemiro was in brilliant form. I think he's making some some really dumb mistakes in midfield again. Luka Modric, since he won the Ballon d'Or, he's been replaced by his evil twin. Um, and his evil twin sucks at football. Um, and, you know, Karim Benzema, I think he's tired too because he's played every game and he can't score anymore because I don't think he has the legs. So we talk about uh, a lot about Borussia's lack of depth. I think Madrid have a lack of depth in that Zidane doesn't trust the amount of players he has. Real Madrid have a lot of players, but I don't think Zidane trusts any of them. Um, apart from the 11, he's he's playing. I mean, he keeps bringing on Gareth Bale when he clearly doesn't want Gareth Bale at the club. So that's a problem. And, um, and I think that means that they're not as good as Barca right now. Barca have won four in a row in La Liga. Uh, they're leaders again. Uh, they only need a draw to stay leaders. Um, and if they win, they're five points clear. And even though there's going to be 12 games to play, in La Liga, five points with 12 games to play is almost title winning. Um, when, it, when it comes to, when you look at, you know, the games Barca have coming up, the only really, really, really tough game they have coming up is Atletico Madrid. Um but it's at home, and we have been, like I said before, unstoppable at home. So I'm really feeling confident ahead of this Clasico. And even though we've won the last five, especially the last couple of, of Clasicos on the road, under Valverde, I never felt any amount of confidence. And maybe it's dangerous that I'm this confident ahead of a, of a Clasico, but I do think we're in better form, and we, are, we just win in Madrid now. So... So I, I guess that confidence, though, doesn't seem to necessarily be related to the lack of Ernesto Valverde versus the the negative form that Real Madrid are in. I guess, like, so what scares you, um, if you had to pick, like, one or two things that still scares you about Real Madrid despite their poor form, what would it be? Honestly, honestly, the only thing I fear is Sergio Ramos because he's their best attacker right now. If you watch the match against Manchester City, he he had the most dangerous chances in the game. And a lot of the the previous matches, Sergio Ramos has been their best attacking player. When when he goes forward, when he he steals a ball in midfield and he goes forward and waits for a cross, that's basically Real Madrid's play now. They hope that Ramos recovers a ball and runs to the box and they're going to cross the ball to him to try to score a goal. That's basically their game plan because they don't have a lot... A lot, a lot else to do, but what we're, I think we're going to see something on on Sunday um, um, that we haven't seen in a while, because uh, under Luis Enrique um, and especially Valverde, we didn't go to the Bernabeu wanting the ball at all. We didn't care about possession. All we cared about 
was getting a goal or two and then making Madrid nervous because they were losing another Clásico at home. And then we used that as kind of a platform to score a couple more goals and win the game easily and not have a lot of trouble. But we gave Madrid the ball a lot and we put the pressure on them to create. On Sunday, that pressure is going to be on Barca just because of Kike Setien. He's not going to accept not having the ball at the Bernabeu. He's actually going to look at this as the biggest game of his coaching career and he's going to want to put his stamp on it. So that might be the danger, actually, that Kike tries to, to be the reason why we win the game and he wants us to have 90% possession and then we create nothing and Real Madrid have one chance like Napoli did and then they go and win the game. That's my fear. That's actually my fear. Not that Real Madrid do anything to us because I, don't, I, I sincerely think they're not that good right now and they don't have a lot of ideas or options and all of the best players from December and January um, when they were really good and really almost unstoppable, they're not really there anymore. Um, um, and I think, I honestly think um, the if, if, if Kike tries to be the star of the show and we win the game because of what he came up with, we might have trouble. But uh, to talk about a Real Madrid player, I actually am scared about. It's not just Ramos, it's Vinicius Jr. He has been a thorn in our side every time he's played us. And he always plays out classicals. He then he knows he can cause a lot of trouble to, to our defense. So I do think he starts on Sunday, and I think it's gonna be a, he's going to be a big problem if you know we leave him one-on-one with uh, Nelson Semedo. So that, that's a concern. That, that one uh, thing is my big concern about this game. Is there something that concerns you from the Barcelona? Um, like, I, I guess, so you, you talked about possession. Is there, is there, what scenario do you see um, Barcelona losing the game in? Like, is it that they have the possession and the Real Madrid spring on an attack? Or is it that they, because I, I guess I don't really see a scenario where um, Barcelona get dominated possession wise like it feels like in the form they're in that they're going to control a lot of the possession I guess what do you mean by them potentially like sucking up too much possession and playing too passive is that what you mean by um, losing the game with too much possession yeah like the game against Valencia uh, against Valencia on the road I think it was Kike's third game in charge um, and that was by far our worst performance under Kike, where we had 80% of the possession and we lost the game because we didn't create anything. And Valencia, every time they had the ball, they were really dangerous. And even the game against Napoli, but Napoli, you can't even compare what Valencia did uh, with Napoli because Napoli just refused to play football. Valencia actually played football, by fo- but defensively. They defended really well, but every time they got the ball, they were a threat. Every single time, a lot of players went forward and they created chances. And Ter Stegen had to save a penalty early on, but it didn't matter because Valencia were just too dangerous on the counterattack. And obviously, Real Madrid have much better players than Valencia. So if Real Madrid have a similar game plan, if Zidane bets on... Kike uh, trying to ask his team to have the ball too much and then Barca pass, pass and pass and pass but not really create much 
because they don't have a lot of options. Um, and Madrid um, against Manchester City, even though they weren't good at all, you have to say that every time they got the ball from a few mistakes from Manchester City, they were really dangerous on the counter. And that's how they scored uh, their goal um, uh, against, uh, against Manchester City. And even the games against uh, Real Sociedad in the, in the Copa del Rey, one of their recent losses, um, all the goals they scored weren't on, on quick. We recover possession, bang. We are we're running at you in numbers, and we're going to be really dangerous. And Barca have been really, really vulnerable to that under Kike. In our in our worst times under Kike, we passed our we pass uh, the ball and pass and pass too much, and we create nothing. And one mistake, one bad pass, one bad defensive transition, the other team has a counterattack, and they're really dangerous and they can score. So that 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 is what I mean. Gotcha. So this is obviously this is one of the more important and impactful El Clasicos we've had in recent years, uh, given the time of the season it's taking place, uh, how close they are in the league table. If you had to pick one Barcelona player to keep an eye on besides Lionel Messi, who you think uh, has a vital, obviously all the players have important roles, blah, blah, blah. But if you had to pick one player to keep an eye on besides Lionel Messi for this match on the Barcelona side, who would it be? Arturo Vidal, no doubt. I think he's actually the key. Um, where he plays is going to decide a lot of this game uh, because I think his ability to uh, uh, press Real Madrid um, when you know they have possession is going to be crucial. And you know the ability uh, that he's going to have to help us in transition when we have the ball and his ability to to make runs and, and combine with Messi, he's a really good passer of the ball in tight situations. Um, I think he's he, he's key to 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 us because he's been key all season. I think every time Arturo Vidal has a good game, we win. It's just how it works. Yeah, didn't have a good game against Napoli, we didn't win. Um, he had a great game against Abar, we won five nil. Even though Messi scored four goals, Arturo Vidal was key to that win as well. So I um. And our midfielders are always really important in El Clasico. Um, you know, um, the the last Clasico we won at the Bernabeu was 1-0 with the goal from Rakitic. And Rakitic was a monster in that game. One of the most iconic Clasicos of all time, the one that Messi scored the late winner um, and, and uh, took off his shirt and showed it to the crowd, one of the most iconic images of all time. That was Sergio Roberto's best game ever in a Barca shirt. Uh, and even though he played right back, he was basically a midfielder that game. He had a monster performance. Andre Gomez was also really good in that game. Um, um, Andres Iniesta, maybe maybe his best performance in a Barca shirt came in a, in a Clasico under Luis Enrique where he absolutely ran the game. It was his game from start to finish, and he was the reason why I won that game. I think it was 3-0 in Luis Enrique's first or second season in charge. Might be the second season. Uh, and he was just a spectacular performance from Iniesta. One of the most unbelievable games he, he played in a Barca shirt. So um, a lot of El Clasicos, when Barca win, it's because of the midfield and because of one specific player in midfield. And I think this one's going to have to do a lot with, um, it's going to have a lot to do with Arturo Vidal and maybe even Frank and De Jong. 
maybe Frankie De Jong has his signature game in a Barca shirt in El Clasico. Um, and I think, but I do think the most important piece of, of us winning is Vidal because we all know what Real Madrid are going to do um, um, when it comes to Messi. They're going to put Casemiro on him and hope that Casemiro has a good game against Messi like he has in the past. Um, but if he doesn't, obviously, then Messi can be the, the reason why we win. But if not, then I believe it's Vidal. 100% agree. I think every time you see a good Barcelona performance against Real Madrid, it's because the Barcelona midfield is a thorn in the side, that they control the the flow of the game and that it's not the other way around. Um, like you said, the midfields are always vital in these matches, and I think that that becomes the talking points before and after is like which midfield is in better form, which midfield can win the game. And I think if Barcelona are to have a good game, you're right, it's someone like a Franca de Jong or an Arturo Vidal controlling the pace and uh, really just being the thorn in the Real Madrid side. So, Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think Braithwaite should start? Uh, probably because not. I, I, honestly, I honestly uh, am considering that. I'm seriously considering whether or not I think Braithwaite should start. Because I what I saw from Gabriel Jesus um, um, yesterday on Wednesday uh, against Real Madrid... I can see, I can just see Martin Braithwaite having the exact same um, performance. I, I, I guess if it were me, though, yeah, um, I, I get what you're saying. I, I Part of me feels like that would almost be better wielded in some sort of second half substitution if things aren't going well as like a... It, like like if if you deploy the the regular Barcelona setup and strategy from the last like couple months uh, before he arrived in the first half, and then if it's not going well, maybe bring him on as a second half adjustment. Um, because I, I guess if you start him and he's doing nothing, I guess you theoretically could do the same thing. But I guess it just depends whether you want the adjustment of him uh, coming in the first half or as a, a second half adjustment. I, I don't know, man. I think, honestly, like I said, I'm just talking this out. Um, I'm open to, to to any arguments. But I do think um, after watching Gabriel Jesus uh, yesterday, and I don't think, uh, and I think Braithwaite, I don't think obviously he's, he's at Jesus' level. I think Jesus is a much better player. But I do think he has a lot of similar traits, you know, the speed, and the willingness to track back and the ability to defend and, uh, and then the ability to just run really hard in behind. That's what he did against Abar when he came on and he gave us a new dimension. When the second half was really boring, he came and he sparked life into that game because he couldn't stop running and he was really dangerous. I do think there is a value to that. But I also do think maybe it's too soon to start him. You know, second game for Barca, and then it's the first start, and it's El Clasico at the Bernabeu. Um, you know, I, but I do think, again, I do think what he does, what we saw of him as a player um, at, uh, in his first game could be really useful against Real Madrid. I just don't know if it's from the start or, or on the bench, but I don't think it's a crazy thing to consider it. You know, uh, like I said, who would have thought I'm considering Martin Braithwaite starting for Barcelona in El Clasico in February, in, in the 1st of March of 2020. But it actually makes sense when you look at it. And I just think 
you know, he might be more useful than Antoine Griezmann in this game. Who knows? Because uh, he does a, a he does a similar job to what Griezmann does off the ball. But I do think just he's faster than Griezmann, and maybe you know if we have to defend to defend really deep at times if we're winning the game. Um, I'm talking about more of a second half situation now. If we're winning like one nil and Real Madrid are really pressing, it it, it will be really useful to have a, a guy like him to just run. And when we have a counterattack, Messi gets the ball and he sees. Braithwaite running in behind with a chance, I think he it's it's better to have him than Griezmann in that situation because I think he's a better counterattack player than Griezmann, at least what we saw against Abar. Again, it was a 20-minute cameo in a game that was won, but he he really impressed me, and he impressed a lot of Barca fans, and I think he might be useful in El Clasico. You just never know. But you're not saying, like, you're not saying to start him over Griezmann. Why not? Wow, the from last week being like he's he's barely an okay player to starting him over Griezmann at El Clasico. I I mean I, I get what you're saying with like kind of the way he plays, but I think that would be like a little dramatic. I don't know because is it dramatic though, or are you just I would just say that because it's Martin Braithwaite. And I I think signing. it's that. I, I, if, I, I yeah. if I was suggesting Ansu Fati, would you be against it? No, but I I think the reason it, it, it's like yes it, it's it's the name and kind of the the way he came, but it's also like he's played for how long did you say twenty minutes? Uh, that just seems like a, a drastic jump, and maybe it would catch Real Madrid off guard. Like maybe that's the uh, that's maybe that's the point of it is that it would catch them off guard, and that because they don't have that much tape to go over, that maybe it would be a good move. Yeah, but again, here's the thing. I'm not looking uh, again. Uh, I said this last week uh, on the bot. I think he's a good player. I think we're we're just making fun of his price and the fact it's right. Martin Braithwaite and he was playing for Leganes. But he's actually a good player. He's an international. He's an experienced player and he played really well in his debut. Like we're not, you know, if you go to the Barca bloggers comments and you type in Braithwaite, you're going to see the responses. Everybody's in love with him, and there's a little bit of a joke there. It's a little bit ironic, but it's actually true because we're really impressed with him. He's he's actually a really good player, and um, he, the 20 minutes he had against Abar in his debut are better than anything Ansu Fati has done over the last two months. I love Ansu Fati. I think he's a great young player, but he's really, really struggled the last two months. Because I think he's realized, um, you know, uh, you talk about the tape. He was a, he he came out on fire because no one knew him. Now everyone knows what Asufati does. He wants to get the ball on the right on the left wing, and he wants to dribble past you, and he wants to cut into his right foot and shoot from distance. And defenses have taken that away from him, and he has had virtually none, uh, zero impact on the team. Um, over the last couple months. Martin Braithwaite, he has had an impact, a lot bigger than Ansu Fati's. But if I suggested Ansu Fati to start, you wouldn't have a problem with it. But just because it's Braithwaite and it's a fun and it's and it's just funny to say his name when he comes and, and 
it's hard to believe he's a Barcelona player. There's this uh, inclination to believe, oh, it's just a joke. Who, it's a joke, right? They Braithwaite's going to start off Griezmann. You can't. No, I'm serious. He's a really good player, and it actually makes sense. I love this. Uh, I, I, I'm very excited to see kind of what Barcelona deploy uh, this weekend. I think if it, that when we record this podcast next Thursday, after Martin Braithwaite has played really well in El Clasico, you're gonna apologize to me. This is a Whoa. this is not a this is not a prediction. This is a spoiler about next week's podcast. It's gonna start with Joshua Sutter, Mr. Dolpho Dev himself, apologizing to me because I was right that Martin Braithwaite was a huge reason why we won El Clasico. We'll heard it here first. Oh man, I love this. Okay, that's uh, I think that's a good spot to end it. Do you have any anything else you want to mention with El Clasico before we head off? Um, three two prediction. I think it's gonna be a classic, Clasico. Uh, we need uh, it after the zero zero. Yeah, but I do think it's gonna be great because Real Madrid um know that if they lose this one, basically La Liga is over. Uh, and after the loss to Manchester City, the Champions League is basically over. And because they were eliminating a couple of their raid, they'll have no title this season again. So they actually really need to win this game. Um, and they're going to come out guns blazing. And But I do think Barca is going to... I do think Barca is going to find a way because they have, to me, a better team right now. They're playing better. And I think... Uh, and I think Messi has heard the criticism that he doesn't do anything away from home anymore. There was that there was that conversation again uh, against Napoli, and I, I just think Messi at the Bernabeu is just something special when he's on, and I think he's going to be on. And I do think Martin Braithwaite is going to have a huge impact. There you and go. I do, and I do think also Arturo Vidal is going to have a huge impact, and those three are going to be the reason why we win El Clasico. Um, but I think it's going to be a great game. I think Real Madrid is going to bring the a, their A game, and uh, and I do think Barcelona will find a way. And then it's six wins in a row at the Bernabeu, which was, which would be really sweet. There you go. All right, so I'm going to go 2-1 Barcelona. Uh, I'm not going to delve into the reasons that we've just talked about for the last 30 minutes, but uh, you can subscribe to the Barcelona Bulgarnas podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Anywhere else you get your podcast, be sure to con- check out the continuing coverage heading into a Classico at BarcelonaBlogarnas.com. For Renato, I am Josh. Thanks for listening and have a good day.